On today's episode of the Aggie Wagon Podcast, the Las Cruces local Johnny McCants pops in for our guest appearance. I'll recap Teddy Allen's historic performance against Abilene Christian and what it means for the Aggies going forward. And NMSU takes on Sam Houston State and Stephen F. Austin this week on a two-game East Texas road swing, which we'll include quotes from Chris Jans on. Stick around to find out how the Aggies should fare against their new whack opponents. Cue the intro. Howdy, folks, and welcome to the Aggie Wagon Podcast, a place for New Mexico State men's basketball skeptics, fanatics, doubters, and really anyone who likes basketball. I'm your host, Stephen Wagner. Let's shoot the breeze. What's going on, folks? It's your boy himself, New Mexico State men's basketball reporter Stephen Wagner, back again for another episode of the Aggie Wagon Podcast, here to tell you everything you need to know about NMSU men's hoops. I know I'm still amazed by Teddy Allen's 41-point performance against Abilene Christian Saturday at the Pan Am, which I think is the second-best college basketball scoring performance I've ever seen live. But before we get to that, let's recap last week's headlines. NMSU is off to a perfect 5-0 starting conference play after blowing out Tarleton State 73-57 Thursday and knocking off Abilene Christian 77-63 Saturday, which puts the Aggies in a tie for first in the conference along with Grand Canyon, who is also undefeated. Seattle is also technically tied for first in the conference as they stayed undefeated with a 92-85 win at Cal Baptist, but so far they've had two games canceled due to COVID issues and two of their conference wins so far have been against teams ranked 300 or lower by KenPalm.com. So while they are keeping pace with NMSU and Grand Canyon, the jury is still out on them as legitimate contenders. NMSU and Grand Canyon have both cracked the Ken Palm's top 100 and college basketball's top 70 net rankings, which is the first time this season that two WAC schools have been ranked that high at the same time in both systems. After winning their 10th straight game against Abilene Christian Saturday, NMSU shot up to 94 in Ken Palm, which is the second highest Ken Palm ranking the Aggies have achieved this year. NMSU was briefly ranked 93 after beating Davidson by 11 in the Myrtle Beach Invitational, and that win suddenly has turned into a tournament resume victory, as Davidson has not lost since and is now receiving AP Top 25 votes. Chris Jan said in his Monday press conference that he let out a screech in his house when he watched Davidson beat Richmond on a three-pointer in the final seconds, which means he's definitely aware how important that game can potentially become. It also certainly helps NMSU's case that it's on a 10-game winning streak heading into Thursday's game against Sam Houston State, and a tremendous part of that has been thanks to Teddy Allen, which is where I really want to start today. If you watched Saturday's game between NSU and Abilene Christian, then you saw Teddy Allen erupt for the most points scored by an Aggie in a single game almost 20 years to the day from the last time an NMSU player had a 40-point performance and the second most points ever scored by an Aggie in one game in the Pan American Center. Jimmy Collins and Ernest Patterson are now the only Aggies to score more points in the Pan Am in a single game, and they both scored 42. But that 41-point performance was impressive, definitely, and clearly it was a huge reason why NMSU beat Abilene Christian. But I truly believe that that specific performance from Teddy Allen is going to have a massive ripple effect throughout the rest of the season, and I think that there's a better-than-good good chance that we could see it come into effect next week against Grand Canyon. I don't like to get ahead of myself or totally just write teams off, but from what we've seen so far, all signs point to NMSU sweeping Sam Houston State and Stephen F. Austin on this road trip, staying undefeated, and setting up a massive showdown between the WAC's top two teams January 29th in Las Cruces. That's not to say Sam Houston State and SFA won't be entertaining, but Chris Jans doesn't lose in January, and he definitely doesn't lose to teams that are a tier below him on any given season. 
But the reason this is going to have a ripple effect is this is not just a one-off performance. Yes, it's the most amount of points that Teddy Allen has scored in a single game this season, but I don't think it's going to be the last time that we're going to see something of this tier, of this caliber, of this level in a game from one Aggie player. Not necessarily Teddy Allen, but from an Aggie player, period. This is something that's been building for the last two months. And what we saw on Saturday was the product of a team that has finally positioned itself to have players erupt for performances like this on any given night. They've been consistently climbing that mountain for months, and Teddy's eruption was the product of a team that's starting to figure it out on the offensive side and is finally figuring out how to use its offensive talent and have everyone play these well-defined roles. I feel like earlier in the season, players had some problems really settling into roles on this revamped team. And we're seeing guys figure out what their roles are. Jabari Rice is really more of a facilitator and a defender than anything this season. And that's evident just based on how many times he started He started at point guard. I mean, he's started at point guard for more than a third of the games that they've had this year already. And he's a very natural shooting guard. But this year, he's a facilitator. Will McNair is the enforcer. Johnny McCants is the veteran. Donnie Tillman and Mike Peake are the stretch bigs. And Teddy Allen is the aggressive scorer who has really figured things out on the offensive side. Here's Chris Jans. Yeah, he's just, um, you know, understanding how we're trying to play and some of the schemes that we utilize uh, on off the offensive end, which is what we're talking about. And, you know, understanding that he doesn't always have to, you know, be the creator. Like, let other people create for you sometimes and get some catch-and-shoot threes and um, just understand the offense a little bit better and not, you know, sometimes he had a tendency to stand around and just wait for the ball and then kind of do his thing and, you know, open up your arsenal, if you will, and score in more ways than one. Um, and, you know, he's starting to do it. He's starting to do it. And certainly he's not going to get, you know, those kind of numbers. If he hears me say that, he'll say, yeah, I am. But um, you know, we both know that's not going to be the case. But it's, it's good to see that he's doing it within the framework of what we're trying to do. This team has settled into its roles, and Saturday was proof. That was the best role-defined basketball I've seen from this team this season. Everybody knew exactly what they needed to do and where they needed to be. When Teddy got hot, everyone knew to find him. Chris Jans kept calling sets for him, and you could see a concerted effort by everyone on the floor to make sure Teddy was able to get the ball. They knew even if they didn't have the ball in their hands, they needed to make sure they did something to get Teddy the rock because they were bringing his particular role to the forefront. And the reason this is going to have a ripple effect is because selflessness and role-defined basketball carries over. Shooting doesn't always get on a plane. Turnovers don't always get on a plane. But playing within your role carries over very well game to game. If you don't believe me, look at the Power 6 level and point to the reason Texas and Michigan have been disappointing this season. Early in the season, NMSU was getting by just based on talent alone because they had more talent than 70 or 80% of the teams they played in non-conference. But now we're actually seeing guys fit into their roles. This is a team that's getting a little bit dangerous. And then you can add on top of that the fact that eight players have had games where they've scored at least 15 points already this season, which shows that Teddy Allen isn't the only guy on the roster who can explode on any given night. The reason I brought up the Grand Canyon game earlier is that NMSU is probably going to need to play its most role-defined basketball of the season when it plays GCU next week, and it's definitely going to need to score 80 points to win that game. And I don't know about you, but I really like the idea of having a guy like Teddy on my team who isn't just capable of dropping 40, but that he's seen 
that he's capable of doing that. He has evidence and proof that this is something that he's that he is capable of doing. And here to talk about what NMSU has done this season and what it set its sights on is Johnny McCants, a dude who's in his sixth season with the Aggies and a guy that I laugh about is older than me. Johnny, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Uh, thank you for having me. All right, so first off, that performance from Teddy against Abilene Christian on Saturday, uh, what was it like just watching him snap uh, for a game like that? We saw the crowd standing and cheering as he went for 40 points. Did you catch yourself cheering a little bit too, or were you really just more locked in on the actual game itself? Um, if I'm going to be honest, I didn't really know Teddy was even close to 40 points at all. Um, I was really just locked into the game. I know I was having some foul problems, and it was frustrating me a lot, but I just still decided to stay locked in for the team. But um, when he went to go shoot those two free throws, I saw everybody clapping, and I was wondering why they were clapping. I was like, <laughs> what's going on? And then I look up at the, the scoreboard, and he has 39. Or he has 39 to 38, and I'm like, I, he scored this much? Like, I don't even – there must have been, like, some loud, quiet buckets he had because I didn't think he had that much. <laughs> Did you feel like uh, d- did you feel like you knew that he had the hot hand? I mean, obviously he looked really great in the second half. You know, did did you did you still know that like he he had the hot hand? You just weren't aware of how many points he was actually putting up. Um, yeah, I knew uh, Teddy had the hot hand. I also he was making plays for others. He was also getting to the rim. Um, going into the second half, he really just didn't he didn't give up. I mean, he had one thing on his mind. It was just win. That's basically what he always talks about, just winning. So he's going to find a way to do it. Yeah, so me and Chris Jans talked about this a little bit after the game. Um, I I know I asked him some similar questions, but whenever you've got a guy uh, who's really hot like that, uh, for the actual players on the court, um, does it feel like uh, your mindset changes at all to, you know, trying to find different ways to get him the ball? Because watching the game, uh, you know, I'm not sure if there were more than maybe a handful of possessions in the second half where he didn't touch the ball at least once, uh, even before Jans started calling a bunch of sets for him. Uh, did you feel like, um, you know, when you and the rest of the guys were on the court, like you were, did you feel like you were trying to get Teddy the ball or was it really just more naturally like he was just getting the ball? Like in these situations, it was just finding its way to him and he was taking advantage. Um, I would say it was um, a little bit of both. Uh, most of the time, it was, uh, well, mainly in the second half, I was trying to get him the box because he was, we were right in the hot hand. But to uh, start out throughout the whole game, I mean, it was just the stuff that was just happening throughout the game. I mean, Teddy got his buckets from our teammates cutting or or passing him the bar, setting screens. <clears throat> he also got a lot of buckets by him just being able to break down his defender and have the ability to get to the hoop. But I feel like we were just find, uh, finding him natural. He was moving without the bar pretty well, uh, finding himself in some open uh, spots to uh, get some pretty nice shots off or get the defense and closeouts and be able to drive and get to the hoop. So last question I want to ask specifically on Teddy um, real quick. Uh, we all knew that he was capable of doing something like this, but it just feels like he's come so far from the start of the season. Like, you know, there were a bunch of moments earlier in the year where the ball would get to him and all ball movement, everything would just stop and he might throw up a bad shot. But, you know, Saturday he exploded. Everything felt beautifully in rhythm. Like he wasn't just creating for himself. Other people were creating for him too and he was figuring out how to take advantage of that. Is there anything he's done differently from the start of the year? Because 
he's really just felt like a different player in these last few weeks. Um, I would say his, uh, his mindset has changed from the start of the year. It was, um, it was more, I would say like kind of lackadaisical. Um, he wasn't really in the gym that much, but lately he's been in the gym a lot and it's starting to show his shots are falling. He's finishing a lot better around the basket than he was at the start of the season. And, I praise Teddy all the time because in practice he's not he's not scared to just attack the rim. I mean he comes at me and I, I try to make him better. I try to jump up shield or I foul him on purpose just so when the time comes in the game when he gets fouled then they don't call it shot Michael in or not. So earlier in the season, you know, we all knew that this team was talented. Uh, but it really seemed like you weren't clicking on the offensive end, like the team was still really figuring it out, like the team was still figuring it out. Were players having problems, you know, really figuring out their roles early on, especially given the number of new players that you had this season and the and the total amount of roster turnover that you had from last year to this year? Um, yeah, I would definitely say that it was um, a, hard, a hard time for the new players to figure out the roles on the team or uh, to figure out where they fit the best. And, I mean, we still go through it now because everybody's still learning. And I would say that we're just trying to become the best that we are. So we're still trying to exploit the the new roles still. We have positionless guys. So, I mean, it's kind of hard to uh, strictly put them on one role. Yeah, it's felt like every game since WAC play started that – you know, we've really seen a team that just feels closer to a finished product. Like everyone just looks better and more together. You know, it, it, it feels like, uh, you know, there are, there are fewer mistakes that are a pure result of miscommunication. What do you, what do you attribute that to? Do you think that that's just, you know, like being around each other for so long and playing so many games together that you kind of like start to start to figure each other out? Uh, you know, what do you, what do you attribute, you know, the improvement specifically since the conference play started to? Um, I'd probably talk about our practices more than anything because practices are probably the hardest part of the whole season. I mean, you can play in a, a really tough game, but the next day you got to have practice and it really just determines on what your mindset's going to be for practice. I mean, you can go into practice lackadaisical and not ready to practice, and that won't be a good one, but you can go in there ready to practice, have your mind ready, and uh, try to bring energy to the team, and everybody will fall along like that. So far this season, where do you feel like you've seen the biggest amount of growth in you guys as a team, like as a unit collectively? There's been spurts where I've seen growth in turnovers. I mean, we started the year off pretty bad turning the ball over i mean we still kind of do it now but we're limiting our limiting our turnovers a little bit so i can say that that's a spot that we're improving on and our rebounding too um we have guys starting to attack the offensive glass a lot more we still need more people to box out on defense and more defense rebounds so but that's just identity that we're still trying to figure out for ourselves so you guys have now won 10 in a row, but this isn't exactly the first time in your career that you've been on a 10-game win streak. This is actually the fifth time since you've been an Aggie that you've been on a winning streak of at least 10 games and under two different coaches at that. Um, so I wanted to know, because you've been around for so long and you have such a unique experience, 
Um, do you think that there's, you know, a recipe for success, like some basic underlying factors that have to be present in order for a team to win, regardless of, you know, the program or who the coach is? Or do you think it really, really varies between programs? Um, honestly, the only recipe I probably think that I have in my mind is just literally hard work. Um, you could go into a, a game and shoot the ball really bad, but play the best defense of your life. Like you can still win games like that. You could outtuck the other team. So I would just say hard work. I mean, that's the only way I can put it. Looking ahead a little bit, you're inching closer and closer to the thousand point mark. Uh, I think right now you're something like 74 points away or something like that. Obviously the biggest goal is winning and you've historically been a guy who doesn't necessarily need to score to have an impact on the court. Um, but you know, is that thousand point mark a milestone that, uh, you might be, you know, keeping your eye on or maybe thinking about, you know, quietly in the back of your head? I mean, hitting a thousand points, would be a great milestone, but I'm not really, I'm not really like looking forward to it because I just want to win championships. I want to win with my team, I want to make it to the NCAA tournament and make a run in it. Um, probably when a thousand, whenever, whenever I hit a thousand points, um, in the moment, I don't know my my feelings could change about it. Uh, but just right now, just looking forward to what's ahead of the season for us. I know earlier in the season when we spoke, you said that your goal at the end of this year. Uh, was to try to your your personal goal at the end of this year was to try to put yourself in a position to eventually play professional basketball. Um, you know, checking in here, how close do you think you are to that goal, and what do you think that you still need to do the remainder of the season, you personally, uh, to try to make your individual dream a reality? I'm not sure how how close I am to that goal. I have a lot of stuff to work on, um, shooting the ball turning the ball over a little less, uh, can work on my styles, my defense. Uh, I have a lot of stuff to work on and throughout like to finish out the year to achieve my goal. So I'm just probably going to take it day by day and continue to work on my game. All right. Last question for you here, because it's something that I've been asking all of your teammates. And thankfully, since you're a local guy, I can bank on you, uh, to come through for me here. But, I'm going to ask for your favorite local restaurant in Las Cruces and your favorite dish to get there. Uh, there's this uh, this nacho place. I don't remember the name of it, but there's a nacho place on the on the side of town by Picacho that me and my girlfriend went to, and I feel like that was a pretty good spot for me and her to uh, sit down and spend time together. Like it was a nice little spot, and to me, the nachos were they were good. So. That would probably be the best spot for me. Uh, Johnny, thanks a bunch, man. And uh, just want to just want to especially say thank you for not recommending to me uh, Chick-fil-A, Applebee's, or uh, Chili's. I'm pretty sure uh, I'm pretty <laughs> sure the majority of the roster has rec- has recommended some sort of a fast food chain restaurant to me. So de- so definitely yeah. appreciative of that. <laughs> oh, no problem. Well, Johnny, thanks a bunch, man. It's been a pleasure having you on. Best of luck the rest of the season. Uh, thanks for having me.
All right, guys, it's time for the Way Out Wagner prediction for this week's games against a surprising Sam Houston State team and Stephen F. Austin, both road games and both in East Texas. Last week, Tarleton State was the surprise of the whack after they got off to a 3-1 and start, but now the surprise of the whack is Sam Houston State, who is off to a 5-1 and start in conference play. Like I've said before, it feels very apparent that NMSU and Grand Canyon are the top two teams in the league and that everybody else is at least a step behind those two programs, but that doesn't mean the Aggies aren't going to be looking for a two-game sweep on the East Texas swing. NMSU takes on Sam Houston State Thursday at 5.30 p.m. on ESPN+. Then they make the hour-and-a-half drive from Huntsville to Nacogdoches for Saturday's 1 p.m. game at Stephen F. Austin, which is also on ESPN+. Sam Houston State has already swept Lamar in last week's shocked SFA in the Battle of the Piney Woods and is now sitting at fourth in the WAC, which is a game and a half ahead of fifth place. But the two schools are taking on NMSU and Grand Canyon in back-to-back games this week. Sam Houston gets NMSU at home Thursday and then Grand Canyon Saturday and SFA gets Grand Canyon at home Thursday and then NMSU Saturday. Definitely not envious of those two programs having to go against the two best teams in the WAC in back-to-back games, but it is what it is. Here's Chris Jans on the two-game road swing. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Um, I think it's um, a perfect time for us to uh, go on the road and, and play a, a five-and-one team, and then go into SFA and, and play. And I'm sure it will be a charged environment. I, I've seen some promotions they're running um, for the game. It's a Saturday. Uh, I think there'll be more eyeballs on that game than maybe some of our previous ones, and we'll have to do it on the road. And um, we're at a point now in the season where we need to um, be challenged like that. We need to um, see where we're at against some some stiffer competition. So I'm I'm looking forward to it. I'm anxious to see how we uh, compete in, in those environments against those um, you know type of teams. And like I talked in the fall, what I thought would happen with the additions of the of the quality of teams that the WAC has added is they will put more eyeballs you know on, on our league. And I think it's done that. There's been more chatter about the WAC. Um, than, than, than the recent seasons. Uh, I think we've all discussed that there's more good teams this year than there's been at least since I've arrived in the last five years. And uh, I think as it unfolds, there'll be um, a lot of close games um, down the stretch. And, you know, eventually there'll have to be some, some separation uh, in the standings. But, um, you know, right now we're going to focus on you know, these games and, and try to keep ourselves in, our, in a conference race. Sam Houston State is ranked 223rd, and Stephen F. Austin is ranked 152nd, according to Ken Palm. And avoiding being swept by both NMSU and Grand Canyon in back-to-back games is imperative for both schools hope to stay in the race for the regular season conference championship, but desperation won't be enough. NMSU will beat Sam Houston State 78-62 and beat Stephen F. Austin 72-66. You heard it here first. Lock in those spreads now. Folks, that's it for Season 1, Episode 10 of the Aggie Wagon Podcast. Again, I'd like to thank all of our listeners for tuning in. As always, be sure to leave a like if you enjoyed the podcast. You can follow the Las Cruces Sun News' NMSU basketball coverage on our website. And you can follow me on Twitter, at StephenWag22. That's Stephen with a PH. So until next time, I'll bid you folks farewell and happy trails. Under that shining desert moon She's got a smile Oh, what a smile.